So how many of you uh, know who Bob Dylan is? Amen, Amen. yes. <laughs> so Bob was, uh, not that I know him on a first name basis, but <laughs> Mr. Dylan was born uh, in, in May 1941, so I put him around 76 years old or so. And for those of you who don't know who he is, uh, which I really didn't know much about Mr. Dylan, but he is a... American songwriter, singer, performer. I, I understand that he wrote poetry and even won a Pulitzer Prize for that um, and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that, he just has influenced music for these last five decades or so. And, and, and for me, my only really interaction with Bob Dylan was when Jimmy Fallon would impersonate him on his sketches, and it was just quite hilarious. I think he was making fun of him, but I'm not sure. But if you haven't had a chance, you should look at that. It's really quite good. Um, anyway, but in the late 70s, Bob Dylan um, uh, had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he came to faith um, with um, someone shared Christ with him, and he said yes to that. And he began to write um, songs um, that reflected his newfound faith. Now, I will say that, as I did some research, that he later kind of um, went away from that a little bit, and it's just really unclear if he really uh, grabbed a hold of that, and it's still a part of his life, just not sure on that. But regardless of that, he, he, did, he um, wrote an album called Slow Train Coming, and one of the songs on there was Gotta Serve um, Somebody. And he won a Grammy for that song with the best male rock uh, performance for that particular song. And it was a very polarizing song for him because he lost a lot of follow followers um, when, he, when that song came out and, and every time he would perform it. So much so that John Lennon, the late John Lennon, wrote this song in rebuttal, wrote a song in rebuttal to this song that Bob Dylan wrote. And, he, and his song was called Serve Yourself. And, um, but I want you to listen to uh, a bit of this song that uh, Bob Dylan um, wrote. You can turn it up a little bit, it's good. Can, a little more is fine. It's got a good beat to it, right? Somebody knows the words. cut that off because I was just ready to break out and dance. That's not good. <laughs> you don't want to see that. So here, here's the thing with this song, and, and such an incredible thing to me is that I think all of us would have an opinion, right? People have an opinion where they see these lyrics. Um, they're going to either agree with his lyrics or they're going to disagree that we all serve somebody um, in our life. And I think if we're honest... Um, if we're honest, um, there begins to rise up in us this defiance that, um, that we probably would tend to more align with John Lennon's lyrics, right? That 
Um, you've got to serve yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for me. You've got to serve yourself. You know that. Who else is going to do it for you? It ain't me. I tell you that. We would probably more want to align ourselves with that than really, um, I guess, adhere to what Bob Dylan was writing, that we all serve somebody. I think John Lennon missed the point um, when he wrote that song, but I think that that is still true, that we, um, um, there's just something about that, right, that really keeps us from believing that, that I don't serve anybody, I serve myself. But deep down inside, we know that that is absolutely not true, that we know that we serve somebody, whether it is God or somebody out there, or it is self slash Satan. Jesus talks about this um, in uh, Matthew 6, in verse Matthew 6, 24. And he says, no one, right? That's an important word to, no one can serve two masters. Either, right, either you're going to hate one or you're going to love the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so again, you cannot serve both God, and then he inserts a particular thing that we can serve. You could insert anything else in there you want, but he says you cannot serve both God and money. And so here we have Jesus is making this point, right, that there is just, there is no middle ground in our walk here. You're either going to serve someone on this side or you're going to serve someone on this side. Either you're going to hate or you're going to love. There is no such thing as, um, let's see, Right? There is no that where you put the two together, love, hate, loat. I, I don't know. Right? Or there's no despised and devoted together, dis, dis, despoted. There's, there's not that, right? It's either you're going to either love one or you're going to hate, but you can't do the two together. And he's, Jesus is making this point, right, to his disciples that in order for, um, uh, let's see, right? So here it is, the serve part. In other words, he's using this, this term slave and, and master, master-slave relationship. And Jesus uses that, this terminology a lot in, um, in his examples in the Gospels. And, it, and, it's, um, and if we're honest, we kind of bristle at that a little bit. Um, but there's just no getting beyond that. That's just what he did. And, and what he meant by that is that he says when you are a slave or you serve is that you are really belonging wholly to that person or that thing that you are serving, right? And it's a relationship that, um, and this is a relationship that cannot exist in duplicate. You cannot do them two together. To belong wholly to one, right, means that all other owners are ruled out. You are only exclusively to that one person. When you try to serve two, Jesus says that there is a failure in that part. You just can't do it. You're either going to love or you're going to hate, right? You're either going to be devoted to one or you're going to be, 
You're going to despise the other. I mean, there is no middle ground. And when you're in that position that he says here, you're going to write, you're going to look at these two owners differently. Right? Love, hate, devoted, despise. That's what Jesus says in the book of Matthew. And it's interesting that when you look at that, they're the opposites, right? The one is going to cancel out the other. And that's just so interesting to me that that's how Jesus puts it here, that there is just no half measures. And that has huge implications for us as his adopted son and adopted daughter. It's because it's possible, right? It's possible to devote wholly to the service of God. And it's, a, it's possible to devote ourselves wholly to the service of using his example money, or you can insert whatever it is in that. But it's not possible, right, to devote oneself wholly to the service of both. I don't know if I've made myself clear on that. It's just not possible to do that. So the question is not do we serve somebody. That's not the question. I believe that that has been answered by Jesus in the Gospels. The, crest, the real question is, who do we serve? It's not do we serve somebody. We, we serve somebody, whether it's God on the one hand or Satan ourselves on the other. The real question is, who do I serve? Let's look at um, Romans Chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. And he says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means, Paul says. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, right? you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which then leads to Right? To righteousness. But, and I love this word in the Bible. It's such a cool word. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin. Just that last song that we sang um, addressed that so beautifully. You've been set free from sin, and yet you've now become servants or slaves to righteousness. That's who we are then as adopted sons, as adopted daughters. And so he goes, I am using an example from everyday life, this example of master-slave, because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to immunity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. This is, I didn't, I mean, this just jumped out to me when I read this this week. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? These things result in death, not necessarily physical death, but the death of peace, the death of joy, the death of just um, being free about who you are, who Christ designed you to be. But, again, 
great word. Now that you have been set free from sin and now have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life with our Heavenly Father. I mean, just a great, great benefit. And then a verse that we all know fairly well is this last one, which is a synopsis of everything he just got done saying. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So why is a Christian, right? Why is a Christian, why is a follower of Christ a servant of King Jesus? It's because we were bought with a price, right? We were bought with a price, the death of Jesus and his burial and his resurrection, his conquering um, death. We were bought with a price, the blood that was shed, the body that was broken. We were bought with a price so that we could be in the family of God. And the price that was paid was huge, right? It was his death. And so when we said yes, when we said yes to Jesus, we also said yes to him as Lord. We are recognizing that he is king, that he is our master, that he has purchased us as adopted sons, as adopted daughters, and now we say yes to him as Savior, right? We said yes to him as Lord. And so we have moved from being enemies of God to now being adopted children. We are now missionaries, right? We're sent on mission, and we're also his servants. We're also his servants. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, right, when we say yes to that, it transforms us from being those enemies of God to now being servants of him. And so if Jesus is Lord of your life, I mean, when, when I think of that, sometimes we experience this feeling of, um, well, man, that just seems like it's so oppressive in my life. Or, or does it seem freeing to you? It's kind of those two responses, right? When we think of this, that, uh, man, he, he purchased me. I am his servant. He is my master. I mean, to some, that would be very oppressive. And then to others, it's very freeing. And the difference between those two is really this. It's determined by how we answer these, or how we think of these next two points, right? And, and really, who is um, the better master? And of course, we're going to go, Jesus is the better master. How we answer that question, who is the better ma master, is going to be whether we feel like him being our master and us being the servant is either oppressing or it's freeing. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, he says that Jesus is Lord. And that's the distinguishing article of Christianity, right? Jesus proclaimed it to his disciples. He proclaimed it to his enemies. He proclaimed it just to those people who were just casually observing what was going on. And he refused, right, to tone down this rhetoric and the implications of what that meant in his disciples' lives. And so this expression, Lord, that we see in Scripture, is that the Greek word, and it speaks of ownership, or the other Greek word is, that's been translated is this word right here. It's master, Lord, and that's an unquestionable right to command. We see that over and over in Scripture. And um, both these words, right, describe 
a master with absolute dominion over someone else. And so this explains why Jesus would, would um, be uh, incredulous, right, at the practice of those who said yes to him with their lips, right, but not with their lives. And so there was a yes to him, and I'm going to, you know, attend church, but their lives don't reflect that. And so he said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, right, master, um, ownership, and do not do what I say? Right, there's just no legitimate way to adjust this message to make it sound appealing to you and I um, or to those who admire Jesus but aren't really prepared to serve him. And so Jesus didn't seek fans. He's not seeking fans to sit in the audience and to go, oh, that was nice, Jesus. Yay, give that golf clap or give a raucous yell or whatever it might be, right? He's not seeking fans. He was calling followers. And he's not just calling followers. He's not, he doesn't want casual. No, he doesn't want casual followers. He wants servants. That brings it to such a greater depth than just being a casual follower or just being a fan. That's what Jesus is looking for, right? And in America, we've just placed this high premium on personal liberty and this high premium on freedom of choice. And so for us, right, to present the good news in terms of a servant-master relationship um, runs contrary to everything um, that the world, the culture, tends to move us towards. But you can't run away from it. It's in the Bible, in our Gospels, of what it means, this description that we're to adhere to. So discipleship. Right entails looking a lot like what this master-servant relationship must have looked like back in the day when Jesus lived on this earth. And it entails um, this um, total self-denial, right? Um, that um, a, having a humble um, attitude towards others, having this singular laser devotion to God to King Jesus alone, having a willingness to obey his commands wherever, whenever, with whoever, having an eagerness to serve him um, even when it seems like he's absent. I mean, that was, I think, part of what it was like to be that slave in that master relationship. And that's what it's to be like for us. And then there's this motivation that comes knowing that when I serve my king, that when I serve others, that at the end of the day, he is going to be well pleased. And so though we were once, right, slaves of sin, we're no longer slaves, we have received that spiritual freedom, right, from what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we have this rest that comes over our hearts, our souls, knowing that we have this saving relationship with him, and then from that we can live and serve others. And so, again, just to remind us that the servant's life was one of complete um, surrender, 
right? Complete surrender, submission. And um, where is that service? This is what um, being a servant is, is like, is that we have a complete surrender, complete submission, complete service to him. It's recognizing um, him as our Lord. And when we said yes to him, and I'm gonna, this is a different way of saying what I said earlier, but it's, it's his invitation. When we said yes to his invitation to follow him, it was also an invitation to have this kind of life, this kind of attitude, to, to live this kind of life um, while on this earth. And so I want us to remember, right, that, um, that we all serve somebody. We're either serving self or we're serving God, King Jesus. There is no middle ground. Not only that, but it will help us, right, if, to think that Jesus is the better master. I mean, look at, through Scripture, look at Jesus' life from Matthew to, to John. What does that look like? And study that, right? And begin to weigh the options. Is he better or is he not? And then not only that, but he redefined greatness. He redefined greatness. In Mark 10, 45, he said this, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus redefined greatness. So what does it mean to be a servant? We're just going to quickly go through this. Um, Surrender. It's a singular devotion, right, in my life to carry out the will of my master. This is what it is. So like servants in the first century, we are to be fully devoted to the, to the master alone. I mean, you, right, the verse says you cannot serve God, and it says money, but you can put in whatever you want. And so it, this singular devotion means that it's impossible to serve God and other masters at the same time. And so we are to think through that. We're constantly to evaluate our life. Am I doing that or am I doing this? And then to right ourselves. And we're to help each other as brothers and sisters. Secondly, is to have this complete submission, right? Complete submission to our master. Being a servant always meant being available, right, to obey that person in every way. And that's what we're to be like. We're to submit ourselves to our master's wishes, submit ourselves to King Jesus, that New Testament repeatedly says that we're to be obedient to him. We're to have an open-hand policy to our life and constantly say, God, I will do um, whatever you desire for me to do and be obedient to that with whoever you want me to do that with, whenever you want me to do that with. And so I, I use those words a lot. Um, whenever, whoever, um, whatever in my life, God. And have this open-hand policy. We're content to be his servant. And then not only that, but to actually serve. Duh. We're to have this discipline of serving. 
Because if we're honest, much of this Christian life sounds way more exciting than actually getting out and serving for the benefit of the glory of Jesus Christ. I mean, we can go to church, we can read our Bible, we can pray, but then to actually get out and serve those that are the least of us, to serve my brother and sister, to serve in any other capacity, I mean, that just kind of goes, I don't know if I want to do that. Just like that lady said in the beginning of our time this morning, it's, it can be demeaning. I want to know that there's some kind of benefit. I don't want to lower myself, right, to be a servant. But over and over and over it says, this is what, if the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, then if we're to be like him, then that's what we should do in our life. One of the clearest implications that people, that you and I, have believed the gospel of Jesus in our life is that our selfish desires become less and less in our life. And this desire to serve becomes more. That, to me, is one of the clearest um, indications that I've really been transformed by this thing that I've said yes to, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been transformed by that, and my life has made this 180 shift, and now my selfish desires, even though they're still there, they're becoming less and less and less. And this desire to serve my king in whatever he would want me to do, and my desire to send serve others, my brothers and sisters and Anybody else that God says I need to serve, that becomes more and more and more in my life. 1 Peter 4.10 says that that's what a disciple, that's what a son, that's what a daughter is going to want to do. They're going to want to serve one another. Again, remember, who is God? Jesus. What has God done? Purchased us. And then who are we? Servants. And then what do we do? We serve Jesus and others. Why? Because it's a great picture of the coming kingdom, right? It's a great picture of this coming kingdom that it begins to display the character of Jesus to the waiting world when it's such this whole world is saying, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. And it's for me, I'm going to do this for me, and you get out of my way. And when that begins to be turned, flipped upside down, and there's people that actually go, I don't care about mine, I don't care about this, because I know that God is going to take care of me, I'm here rather to serve my king and to serve my brothers and sisters. And so here is um, a takeaway for us this morning. This is my prayer for you and for me, is that we would begin to ask God to open up our eyes. And I say that because there's so many times that we, we, we live our life with blinders on. And we go through our life, and it's just focused on me, even to the exclusion of my family, 
to the exclusion of my friends, to the exclusion of my work associates or whatever it might be. We, we live our life like this. And I'm, I'm praying, and, and I'm going to pray for myself, and I hope that you would take this on and pray for yourself that ask God that he would open up your eyes, right, to see, to, to really see as he sees you and I. Which then leads to this. Where are things, where are there things not as they should be? When you are looking around with eyes that are open and ears that are open, where are there things that, that look like they should not be with a particular family or your coworker or someone in your family um, or a person in the Finding Life Church family or in Florida or in Las Vegas or in Texas or in anywhere in the world? Where is there something that there should not be, which then leads us to this next question, what can you do, what can I do to help? Which then leads to this point of action. All right, go. Go and serve. It might be something small. It might be something larger. You may need to go away for a week and go down and serve in Texas or Florida, whatever it might be. Or it might be something that you would do for your life group people within your life group. Or it might be just sitting down with somebody and just saying, I want to listen. And I'm not going to say anything. I want to just listen to you. And then I want to pray for you. As simple as something as simple as that. I don't know what it is. But I'm praying that this would be a part of your life. All right? This is our identity. We're family, right? So we're adopted sons. We're adopted daughters. What does that lead us to do? That leads us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and then it leads us to love others the way that Christ loved us. We are missionaries. We're sent on mission. This mission is this good news of Jesus Christ. And for us, what we're to do then is to show and to share that with whoever God puts in front of us. And then this third thing is that we are servants. We are servants of King Jesus, and we are to serve him, to have this heart of submission, humility, and we're to serve each other. And I pray that that becomes a part of our DNA here. So let me pray with you this morning. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you um, Recognizing, God, in my heart that this idea of serving is hard. That it's hard to let go of my needs, my wants, and the whole what about me, look at me type of thing, God. And to lay that at the foot of your cross and to go, how can I serve you and how can I serve others? Even if I don't get any recognition, it doesn't matter. God, so I know that we need your Holy Spirit. God, we need your Holy Spirit in a mighty, mighty way to help us to have courage, God, to help us to be obedient to that. We can't muscle through this, God. We need um, a breakthrough. We need a complete transformation of our heart, Father. And I pray that that will happen. 
God, I pray for a culture. I mean, there's already a culture of um, doing service here, God, but I pray that it even goes deeper than that. I open up our eyes to see as you see. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.